end in the beginning. I, I want to read verses 15, 15 to, uh, to 25, and then we're going to dive into text. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Jesus says, truly, truly, or for real, for real, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted to. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you did not want to go. This he said to show by the kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had been reclining at the table close to him and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remains until I come, what is it to you? You follow me. He said, so the saying spread abroad among the brothers that the disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is it to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. It's interesting. When you read the end of Matthew, you read what we have dubbed the Great Commission. When you read the end of Luke, you read a quasi-Great Commission in that passage. When you read the book of Mark... At its ending, traditionally or non-traditionally, there is a type of commissioning there. But, but what's interesting in this passage is that John doesn't lay out, like the other disciples, a particular emphatic commission that we would call the Great Commission. But John, throughout his book, has done something beautiful throughout his book. He's talked about different groups of people. And then he's talked about individuals. And in him talking about individuals, these individuals personify types of people groups that are in, the, in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we come to this passage, we come with him ending on really two things. The restoration of Jesus and the, I mean, the uh, restoration of Peter and the exaltation of Jesus. A kind of a kind of a beautiful, beautiful passage that's real simple that I think has so much lean and beefy, low fat application for our lives today. 
Because I believe that I believe that the community of faith needs to be able to zoom in on what we really mean when we talk about community. What do we mean when we talk about mission? What do we mean when we talk about uh, a spiritual life? What does it mean when we talk about vitality? What does it mean when we talk about restoration? And so Peter, uh, uh, John here lays out some nice nutritional verses that will that will just help us to be able to pervade our lives with many endings but a bunch of beginnings. And so in this passage, the first point I'd like to lay out is Jesus' calling on us is preceded by him testing our heart's affections. Jesus' calling on us is preceded by him testing our heart affections. He says in this passage, Peter, he asked Peter, he says, do you love me more than these? What's interesting is John uses questions in the book of John uniquely. We saw that his first question to his disciples in chapter one was, what do you seek? In other words, Jesus is saying, man, I see y'all posturing yourselves like disciples walking behind me, but what do you want for real, for real? See, Jesus loves to know, like, we talk a lot of smack and bump our gums a whole lot, but Jesus is always interested, is there a vital marriage between what we spit with our lips and what the crevices of our heart are feeling in relation to what our lips said? And so he asked a question, and Jesus always uniquely probed. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more in a second. But then the second question he asked a guy by the pool of Bethesda who had gotten used to being around the funk of a bunch of people who were not getting healed, and he had frustrations about being 37 years, and you think this cat would want to be healed. And he asked him a, a stupid question in our eyes. He asked him, do you want to be made well? And I can imagine him looking at like Jesus, like, look at me, man. I mean, do I want to be made well? But he didn't. He began to make excuses. And Jesus said to him, if you had the opportunity right now for your life to be changed, can you handle it? And here he asked a third question in the book. Do you love me? And he asked Peter a question. He says, do you love me? And he qualifies the love. He says, more than these. This question is interesting because, because Peter has talked a lot of smack in chapter 13 about, he said, I'm telling you, Lord, I'm a, I'm a ride and die with you wherever you go. I'm telling you. I, I'm t- I mean, I don't, man, when they, pull out, when they pull out guns blazing, I'm up in the mix. Rat-a-tat, tat, tat, tat with you, Jesus. And Jesus like, Oh, okay, you, you will, huh, fam? He said, but, he said, that I'm going to sovereignly, I'm going to call, listen, the cock ain't going to crow until you deny me three times. I'm going to hold up the, 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 the alarm clock of the rooster just to show you you're going to front on me. But Jesus, in this passage, 
allows him to return and he, he asks him the question, do you love me more than these? He knows Peter. See, he knows Peter. Peter is a competitive, competitive type of guy. Peter is the type of guy um, that in the basketball game, when his team is losing, and it's a guy that's, that keeps doing turnovers, he's the guy on the team that'll say, hey, yo, man, we, you want to switch out, man, because he, he's foul, right? Like, we need to switch him out for somebody, because I want to win. He's a competitive type of dude. And so Jesus ask a question and qualifies the question to kind of get into the lean crevices of the heart of Peter to ask him, do you love me? And he says, do you love me more than these? Well, some people think he's talking about, about fish. He's not talking about fish. Some people talking about that, that, that does he love him more than he loved the other disciples? That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, do you love me more than the other disciples love me? And it's interesting that in this question, Jesus is trying to probe at the, at the reality of the fact of as he's restoring him to his calling, it, whether or not Peter has repented. Whether Peter has repented. Because there's so many verses in the Bible that talk about the reality of whether or not we are going to walk in true repentance in relation to how God probes us about questions. Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 17 verse 3 says the crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold and the Lord tests hearts. That word there, uh, uh, that word there is interesting, test. It means that, that the test is designed to improve the value of the one being tested. When God probes your heart and he asks you some hard questions, every one of you have been asked hard questions about God because many of us have said some things in worship that we don't mean. We've said some things to other people that we don't mean. Because when it comes to the reality of whether or not we really say, we're like, like, like it, it, it doesn't matter what you put on wax in a studio. It doesn't matter like how, what you say on the block. Like, God wants to know whether or not our hearts are really bent towards him. And so he will put us in situations to turn up the crucible of our lives in a particular area, not to prove to himself anything, but he wants to extract and bring to our attention our faultiness with him. And so in this passage, he says, he says, Peter, I I just want to know, man, do you love me? And, and Peter acknowledges at the end, he's in an unprideful way. He says, he says, Lord, you know I love you. Peter's response is a response lacking pride. He didn't say, well, Lord, I love you more than those cats love you. Peter says, Lord, you, you know what? I can't front. I, I, I fronted my whole walk with you. I, I, I was the first to stand up. I was the first to run my mouth. I was the first to act like, like I even jumped in the water just now, like, always fronting. And he said, God, I I just want you to know, Lord Jesus, my fronting is over. And what the question God has on the floor today is what is he asking you that he's probing your heart about? What is he taking you through and what is he uniquely asking you about where he's absolutely unadulteratedly probing your heart? You know the things that we've said with our lips and now God is testing us. God, I just want you. I don't want anybody. God, or if you just, I just want you, God. God, I just, I don't want nobody else to hurt me. I don't want nobody. God, I want you. God said, okay, I see the tears and how you hurt now. But I'm going to rig something in your life to see if I'm enough. 
See, that, see, when you start talking about God being, a, God likes the sound of it. But the question is, does he like the smell of it? Because God is always burning our heart under the crucible of life with questions. And, and all of his trials are nothing but questions. <laughs> all of his, and he's not informing himself, but he's exposing us to us. And so when God calls you, when God, God has called every Christian out, like calling is not just for some bishop or some pastor, it's for the entire community. And Peter personifies every believer who is called, handpicked by God through salvation for a task. And I'm going to lay that out in a second. What's the other one? I just want to be in your will, God. God if you give me your will, God, I just want to be in your will. But, you know, um, God, I, I kind of do also want. See, we always want to put a footnote on our prayers. But when you really want the will of God, you lay the sheet of paper out and you lay it before God. The other one, what's another one? Uh, I love you more than anything, God. God said, ah, you do love me more than anything. He'll bring something to test whether or not we love him more than anything. I will follow you no matter what, Lord God. No matter hell and how what, I'm going to follow you. When the pre- you were standing up when the preacher was preaching that thing, saying you'll follow God in hell and how what. I'm going to follow. Hey, I'm going to follow. And God is like, okay, I see the shouting. I see the running. But when you hit the pavement, I'm going to see what you do, fam. And God will set assignments. On the flighty, to see whether or not we'll follow him wherever he'll send us. Some of you are Jonah's right now. Some of you are sinking ships because God is trying to take you somewhere and you got casualties all around you because you will not follow. The will of God is hard. It's easy to say, I want it. And I'll go wherever you want to go. But when the rubber meets the road, do you got staying power, fam? But then, God, God, if you show me a sign, I mean, God, just, you know what? Just once, wet this, God. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Wet it. Like, like, and I want it to smell like, like, uh, um, what's one of them free? Cool water, the old school journal, Obsession Cologne. God, if you do that, if that smells like Obsession in the morning, I'll follow you anywhere you go. God, if I go around the corner and see the, if, if my wife is going to be there, I'll follow you. God, if you, God, I will, God, show me a sign. Then you mess around and get the sign. Then you're like, dang, I, I, you Okay, God, one more thing. One more sign, God. And Jesus and the Father, he's sitting on the throne, they like looking at us like, yo, let you see our family here. God, like, like this is the question. One last one. God, this is the last time I will ever. How many of us 
have felt the conviction of the Spirit leaning up on our souls like we were bench pressing 3,000 pounds and the weight of the pain of the conviction of the Holy Spirit was so much that we were saying anything we could to get his grief up off of us. Every believer, if you're a real believer, God puts your heart to the test. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are, how cute you are, how gifted you are. In your life, God will ask the hard questions. His questions may not come from an audible voice, but it will always come from the crucible of pain and the hurt of circumstance. And the question is, will you answer the question correctly with your heart? Because it's easy to front with our lips, but the question is, what's in our hearts and so, and, so, and so again, and so again, so again, God wants us to follow him. So Peter, right in this passage, deals with this reality. A lot of people look at the word when he says, do you love me? And Peter says, I love you. The word for love there, when Jesus asks it, is agape. The word for Peter, that, that Peter is asking, uh, answering, is, is phileo. And a lot, of, a lot of people try to make a difference between those two words. It's, it's really not, not much difference in those words. It's, it's just... It's just it's just John throughout the whole book has used those words interchangeably. So it's not much of those words, just, just for you all who, who like to peep stuff like that. I had somebody ask me that. But finally, but next, not finally, some of y'all got happy. Jesus' calling on our lives has one goal. Jesus' calling on our lives has one goal. Look at look at verse look at verse 18. He says truly matter of fact go back up. He says feed my lambs. He goes from feeding my lambs um and he goes tend my lambs and then he goes to feed my sheep. Interesting. Interesting. Interesting that Jesus Jesus does this. Matter of fact, let's go back. Jesus is calling on us, emphasizes task over title. He says, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, and feed my sheep. This is, this is, this is tight here. Jesus, instead of saying, Peter, I'm calling you to be an apostle and a pastor, he utilizes verbs instead of nouns. Now, don't miss that. He says, feed... He says tend, and he says feed. Now, what's, what's, what's interesting about what Jesus does is Jesus shows him what it looks like to apply his calling rather than talking to him about the title of his calling. See, check it out. See, many of us like titles, but we don't like the grind that the title demands to make you actually what you're called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, he calls him to the task, not merely the title. And so he describes what he wants him to do rather than talking to him about the office of what he wants to do. You have people that always want to come, especially in church plans, what am I going to be? 
You know what I'm saying? Like, I want to, you ain't serve, you ain't put up a chair, you ain't, you ain't, you, you ain't washed a sink, you ain't put a, you ain't, and, but you want a title and a position and a role and a nearness. The question is, in our life, all of us, we, everybody want to be, like, you go on the street, what you want to be? Oh, I want to own my own business. Ain't got an, 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 ain't got a administrative skill. We want, like, I'm an entrepreneur. This guy got to be, what are your business? And asking them questions like, Doc, this is some old jack leg grandma pop around the corner, chilling at the, on the block. Like, no, no, all, a lot, everybody wants the flyness of a title, but they don't like the funk of the task. And the question is, what if you didn't have the title, but you can just do the task? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, your name ain't, ain't much, but you're doing what God wants you to do. See, can you handle, can you handle being in the will of God and nobody calls you by a particular name? God is on his throne, aroma of your heart, please, because you are walking in your calling, not worshiping your calling. See, and as a gathered community, John is speaking to the believing remnant. He's saying, listen, I'm positioning you for a unique role, Pete. I'm positioning y'all as a unique group of people, leaders, for a church planting movement. I'm, I'm calling y'all to spread my name through the Great Commission to make other people who spread the Great Commission, to make other people who spread the Great Commission. Is that enough? Is that enough for us? You, you, we may not ever be on anybody's radar, y'all. Listen, listen. I don't care if people don't invite us to the 20,000 20, people at the crusade and get us up. Listen, listen. There's a Pippany Fellowship. And put us all up and we stand up there, you know, and all prideful and carrying on, but ain't making nary a disciple. Ain't loving our wives. Ain't, I, I, I call myself daddy, but I ain't really walking as a daddy. Title, not task. Wives, that's my man, but are you being a wife? Are you being a wife? Are you being a wife? I want to be married. You don't even show signs of submission now. I want to be married. You ain't even a leader now. You don't even read your, you don't, you don't even read, you don't even share Jesus with, how you going, task, not title. We got to ask ourselves, what do we want for real, for real, fam? Do you love him? He's asking, listen, what does it mean in the book of John? What does it mean in the Bible to love Jesus? Jesus says, if you love me, you're what? Simple as that. Simple and plain. And in this context, he says, will you keep my commands in relation to the structure of the calling that I've called you to and be satisfied with that? I don't care how many degrees you got. You can have degrees that make it look good on paper that you are doing something, but in relation to the task, you ain't doing jack. 
And so the passion and pursuit of Jesus, this is not to beat us up. This is to get us on the grind for our king. To say, do we really like the stuff that God likes? Are we content with it? Are we satisfied with it? Or does somebody have to always say my name, say my name? God wants, God always wants to know when there is nothing likable aesthetically in your life, will you follow me? When your life is frustrating, yet you know you are in the cracks and crevices of the will of God. Listen, if, listen, this is for the people that want the will of God. If you don't want the will of God, Chill and wait till the rest of the message is over. But if you want the will of God and your life is wanting to be marked by it, if I never write a book, if they never invite, if, if I, I just want to know, when I get before the beamer seat of Jesus, that he pats me on the butt and say, what's up, fam? Good and faithful servant. Much love, much love, much love. Come into my kingdom. Get on in there, fam. That has to be enough. That has to be enough. That comes from task, not title. There are a lot of people with titles that you ask, what does your week look like? Well, well, you know, I... uh, (laughs) Ha! Task, not title. I pray that we get satisfied, so satisfied with Jesus that we begin to say, God, I know nobody knows I'm doing this. God, I, I, God, I know that I, I'm, I'm lacking encouragement. My heart is hurting. We do need encouragement. I don't want to downplay encouragement. But will you follow God no matter what? No matter what. I got to move. <laughs> that brought me to the point that I announced too early. Jesus' calling on us has one goal. It says in the passage, verse 19, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to gird, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted to. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you did not want to go. Now, Jesus is talking about Peter, you know, in his young age currently, not just when he was a little boy. He said, you go where you want to go. Like, after I died and got up from the grave and you saw me, you just dipped and went. I'm going fishing. Everybody else went. I'm going fishing too. That's all go. He said, you can just go. He said, right now, you got a life that seems to be able to go where it wants to go. But he said, there's going to come a time in your life, young boy, where, 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 where you won't have control over your life because my calling has so arrested your life that I have rigged it where I've closed every door. I've closed every door and you only have a narrow path to walk. What is he talking about? He's talking about his crucifixion. When you talk to Clement of Rome, who, who was, who, Clement, my man Clement was like talking about, in the, in, the, in, the, in the writings of the church fathers, the death of Peter, Tertullian, the African bishop, Tertullian, Tertullian was like, yo, Yo, man, Peter died upside down on the cross. Can you imagine being an old head, gray-haired cat? They, they put their clothes on you, take you, and march you to a crucifixion 
They say, you know what, we're going to disrespect you so bad, your Lord died right side up. We're going to put the cross upside down. And we're going to crucify you upside down. But listen to how he qualifies, how John puts a, puts a little bit of a parenthesis on it. He says, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Every believer's life uniquely glorifies God. Let me say that again. Every believer's life is, even though we're called in community together, every believer has to have their soul shined in order to uniquely reflect God's glory based on the march of life that he's put you in. It's kind of like the Hall of Faith. In the Hall of Faith, we look at, when the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11, you see all of them are marked by faith, but all of them all of them glorified God or walked in faith differently than the other ones. You got your man Abel when they talk about Abel. Abel worshipped by faith. Enoch walked by faith. Noah worked by faith. Abraham went by faith. Moses wandered by faith. And many others were whipped by faith. Everybody has a unique journey by which God has marked your life with the group of God's people to uniquely and systemically be his workmanship to glorify him. Now, that means you got to stay in your lane, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But every believer has a cross. Some of you say, I ain't got no cross. That's because you ain't picked it up yet. But every believer has a cross with your name etched in it. And the question is, are you going to pick it up? Some of us have not started glorifying God yet. You're not going to glorify God until you pick up your cross. Your cross is not merely your profession. Everybody wants a unique paradigm for, you know, I don't know, like, I want to know my purpose to pick up your cross daily and follow him. That's your purpose. Now, the question is, do you like that and uh, um, will you do it? Everybody, but everybody's cross is different. It shapes the same, but it has a different journey. But it's with others. Like somebody say, oh, it's one of the, so I can, I can back up from God's people and chill out by my, no, no, no. No, 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 no. No. Isolationist. No. God calls us. Check it out. God calls us. He uniquely shaped. We are his workmanship as a community. But individually, we are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. When we come together, we are one tool in the hand of God. But in the midst of that tool, we're kind of like a Swiss army knife. You ever seen a Swiss army knife? Like the whole thing is called a knife. But there are different things within it that's shaped differently, that's used as different tools. Some things open up a wine bottle. Some of them are used as a can opener. Some of them to fight off wolves and stuff. Yeah, yeah. You, everything is used for a different reason. Everybody has a purpose. The question is, will you lay down in the Swiss army knife of God's will and let him pull you out for his usage? Let's move. 
But then he ends it. He summarizes the calling of Peter. He still didn't give him a title. Look what he says. Imperative. Follow me. (laughs) He says, that means apprentice yourself to Jesus. He calls Peter. He recalls him. Some of you have fallen sexually. Some of you have fallen in the many areas. Jesus is calling you back like Peter today. Just like he denied Christ three times, Jesus redeems him by saying, do you love me three times to affirm publicly how he shamed himself publicly. Now he says, back to chapter one, follow me, fam. Follow me. Summing it all up, it means following me. That means not making decisions, not making emotional decisions, but following him, apprenticing yourself to his way. And that means his way is frustrating at times, y'all. But if you get in the game, hang in there, he will give you sneak previews of the fact that that decision wasn't made in vain. Follow me. Now follow the bishop. Now to follow the apostle around the corner. Now follow Christ. And if leadership doesn't follow Christ, you don't follow them. But you got to know his way in order to be able to interpret whether or not somebody's following, whoever you're following is following Christ, so you can follow them, and all y'all can follow Christ. Follow Christ. But then finally, I'm going to close. Jesus' calling on us demands undistracted faithfulness to him. <laughs> he says in verse 20, Peter is funny than a mother. He said, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, probably John, following them. The one who had been reclining at the table close to him, and he said, Lord, who is, who is going to portray? Who is going to portray you? When Peter saw that John was following, like now they, you got to understand, they by the beach, so they just pulled all these fish up. Peter, they not ate breakfast, they chilling. Jesus say, Peter, let me let me holler at you for a second. They start taking a walk. John, like he always trying to get some personal time. Like I'm following, shoot, I don't care what nobody says. He fall back, he like. And then Peter, as they're talking. Peter said, he told him he's going to die by crucifixion. Paul, like, Peter, like, yo, I'm going to die by crucifixion? Oh, man, like, what about him? You know what I'm saying? Like, like if I'm going to be ripped up, I mean, I saw, I mean, I didn't see, uh, yeah, I remember how I didn't stay around, but I heard how your crucifixion went. And if I'm going to die like, I mean, like, if I'm going to die like that, what you going to do with him? And Jesus, like, Peter, you still don't get it, fam. He says, if I want John to stay until I set up my kingdom, it ain't none of your business. You follow me. See, many times we covet the calling of others. See, many times we we look at how God is allowing us to have hardship in walking with him because it is hardship, but a blessed hardship, a rewarding hardship. And we like, like, who else like you got that's going through like me? Like, I need to know. 
Like, I need to know I ain't strange. You know what I mean? I, not only am I not strange, but I also need to know, like, I, I need to know that you're putting it on somebody else, too. Like, like that's going to help a brother out. And Jesus like, see, don't worry about how I call somebody else. All of y'all are called. All of y'all will uniquely glorify me. But whatever I call him to do, it's none of your doggone business. You follow me. And the question is, can we do that? See, if you begin to covet the calling of someone else, you won't be following Christ anymore. You'll be following someone else. But, it, but we have to remain faithful. That's what John is telling the believers that he's writing to. He's saying, no matter what, I know you all are dealing with unique issues, but follow Jesus. You can't look at the believers over here and how things are going over there. No, you all as a community follow Jesus. That's our calling. That's our calling. We got to follow him. Will you follow him? I'm saying it over and over and over again because it takes time to sink in. Follow him. That's what marks our journey, y'all. That is what makes a Christian a Christian, is whether or not you posture yourself as a learner and a walker of Jesus Christ and his teachings. That's what we're out to make. We're not out to make believers. I'm, when did you come? Well, I made a profession of faith. See, that's the problem. We got to go beyond profession of faith to living out the faith. But then my man says, by closing, he says, verse 23, he says, So the same spread abroad among the brothers that the disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him, <laughs> He was not going to die. He was, he was not going to die. But if it was his will for him to remain, what is that to you? So Peter went away and spread the news. Man, Jesus got me down on the cross and got him chilling till he come back. <laughs> like, I mean, yo, we need to, like, meet about this. And so it went through the whole, all 120, everybody. Joe John going to be here to Jesus get back. Till he get back. Oh, and he says, guess what he told me? I'm going to die on a cross. Oh, man, they put their hand on Peter's shoulder. I'm just like, my bad, fam. I know, you know. I, I feel bad for you. John, what's up, man? Oh, well, let me talk to me a little bit about remaining till Jesus comes. But then John does the beautiful. He ends in a climax. And he ends like this. Jesus' works are infinite in character. Jesus' works are infinite in character. Verse 24, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did were every one of them written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the book's that would be written. Well, in the context of John, John talks about the expanse of the ministry of Jesus. John here is not merely talking about the incarnation of Jesus, but he's talking about the four seasons of Jesus's ministry, maybe five. He's talking about his pre-incarnate glory, his 
incarnate glory, his post-resurrection glory, his ascension glory, and his returning glory. He said, if you were to take Jesus' works before he came to earth, if you take his works when he came to earth, because John talks about all of them, if you took his works after he got up from the grave, between the getting up from the grave and the ascension for the 40 days, and you take when he went up, seated at the right hand of God the Father, and you took his return, he says, literally, this is not hyperbolic language or hyperbole. He says, Jesus Christ is so infinite that scholars can't keep up with him. Go into the Library of Congress. Library of Congress has to keep a cop. Everybody that writes a book, they have to put it at the Library of Congress and have a number. The Library of Congress and the human language does not have enough call numbers to paste on enough books of the works of Jesus. Y'all don't seem like you're with me yet. Let's talk about his preexistent glory. Well, if you look at his preexistent glory, he, the Bible says in the beginning was the word. That means that God decreed things and the word did it. That means when God stepped out on nothing, called into nothing and said, come into being, the word said, got you, pops. He went out and he yanked light out of darkness into existence. The works of Jesus. When Jesus says, when he says, let, let, there, let there be animals, the word went out and started stitching together cows, stitching together lions, stick, stitching together fish, stitching together, stitching together ants, stitching together of the word of God's word. If we, look, scientists are still researching the things, one of the things that the word has created, his pre Incarnate glory. But when he came from heaven to earth, he somehow in his infinite nature tucked all of his eternality into a human body. Now, that everybody's still trying to write on that. It's too much to talk about. When he got up from the grave, he, he went through the napkins that were covering him, rolled up his stuff, as his, his, his skull cap, put it, at, put it on the floor, and laid things out and cleaned up them. His, his works are too much to write about. Um, when he died, we don't know what in the world he was doing. Cats are speculating about what he, we can't write all of his works. When Jesus was appearing to people, it says, and many signs. Or one of the writers say he did in the presence of the apostles. When we go back to his uh, his incarnate glory, I remember Mark Matthew was just writing stuff, and he healed this person of this disease, and he healed him, and he got to the point he said he healed many diseases. Um, um, he um, cast out many demons that day. I mean, the books can't the books can't hold y'all not with me yet can hold the works of Jesus. But then he goes to the right hand of the Father. And the writer of Hebrews, listen to what he says. He says he lives to make intercession for the saints. Books can't write. We just got to make a clause. Like we're not even going to try to get all into it. We just know that he's up to something at the right hand of the Father. But then he's going to return. And when he returns, he's going to put on his suit. And Jesus is going to get on his horse. And he's going to call the host of heaven. Say, y'all ready to wreck shop? 
They're going to say, we ready, big brother in the faith, we ready to wreck shop. He mounts his horse, and, st- and the Bible never says that the horse gallops. It says that he's gonna, the horse is going to be surfing on a cloud. And when he surfs on a cloud, the third heaven is going to open, and he's going to be in the second heaven called the universe. And then they're going to they're go light speed, warp speed into the earth's atmosphere. And then Jesus is going to dismount his horse, step on the Mount of Olives, split it in half because he's just so fat like that. And, and on the east side of him is this foot. On the west side is that foot. The books of life are going to be open, and he's going to judge. Once he's judged, he's going to say, sin, come here. I'm sick of you anyway. Open, angel, open up the lake of fire. Plat out. Play basketball with sin. He's going to take death. He says, death, I remember you lost your sting when I was on the cross, but I'm putting you to death right now. Get out, get out of God's way so he can. And then he's going to do that. And after he's, after he's put all of God's enemies under his feet, the Father's throne is going to walk from heaven. And the Bible says that the tabernacle of God will be among men. And God the Father is going to be sitting on his throne. And his, the ruling remnant of those who couldn't be counted. Jesus says, I got this crown. You gave all authority in heaven and earth unto me. But Father, 1 Corinthians says that he's going to take off his crown and deliver the kingdom back over to the Father. So that he can be all and in all. Although this is an ending, it's really a beginning. And that is why we live. Lord, Jesus is matchless.